This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Sonia Bestelich, a speech pathologist, author, podcaster, industry speaker, and founding director of Talking Head Speech Pathology. We often speak about digital health as an application or software. However, digital healthcare as an idea is not confined to starting up or building technology alone. It's also about how to take a digital first approach to developing a valuating service experience for not just your clients, but also the community. Sonia has embraced modern digital methods and media to scale the ability to connect with her community and help empower and support her clients with valuable insights, with information, education, and tools, in addition to her clinical healthcare services. We talk about Sonia's journey over the last 20 plus years in speech pathology and as a clinic owner, and the inspiration to use approaches like writing books and developing a podcast and packaging media products to give to her community, and how that has also supported her speech pathology clinics with word of mouth referrals. Yes, there's a little bit about marketing, but as Sonia points out, it's really about authentically speaking to people using scalable digital tools to reach a much broader audience and help them by imparting some of her knowledge, experience, and expertise. Let's jump in. Hey, Sonia, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. I've been looking forward to having a chat with you, Sonia. You do things in a way that I think the allied health industry could really learn a lot from in how you have taken your passion and your personal life experience and some of your creative talents and combine them together to produce, I think, a really powerful approach to how you engage and connect with the community around you and how that helps empower them with their own healthcare goals, as well as also identify with some of their own life through you. But before we get into where you're currently at, tell us a little bit about your history, Sonia. Okay, so the last 20 years or so, I have been a speech pathologist for just over 20 years now. So I'll, I'll start at that professional level. 15 years ago, I started and founded a practice called Talking Head Speech Pathology in Sydney, Australia. So it'll be 15 years this September. And I started that the back of years working nationally, you know, interstate in Australia, overseas in the UK, in various contexts and that was the point that I felt you know what I feel like I've really understood what's going on out there where the gaps are what people want and I'm ready to start a practice in a way that I feel is really going to serve the community so that kind of started that and you know I'm not going to go into the the hard the hard times of the first starting up and what I mean by hard times is I was on my own working six days a week, really long hours and, and really started from scratch, Yanni. You know, I was walking up the road with a, a garbage bag on my shoulder of stuff I needed to photocopy for clients until I could afford my own photocopier, you know, and that's where it all began. But as you mentioned, when the passion is there and the fuel is there and the purpose is there, you make things happen, basically. 
And so then four years into Talking Head Speech Pathology, I had my first child and then I had two more. So I had my three children all in two and a half years. And that really, I know you're laughing. People laugh and they'll call me crazy or just go, what? It's a bit like that. It, It really made for a deep understanding, number one, you know, what what it means to have a child, be a mum, be a business owner who's also a mum and juggling all of that. And it still is a juggle and a learning curve, right? But uh, amongst all of that, I've always been very creative and loved writing. So uh, in 2018, I had my first children's book published. In 2019, my second children's book was published. I also launched my own podcast and still have that running, Chat About Children. I launched that in 2018. And uh, and just this year or this month, actually, I launched my third book, which is a book for mums on how to thrive through self-care and acceptance. And I can safely say, like, the creativity in all those publications inspired by my work in health, in serving and helping others, and in really listening to what's going on out there and what what has resonated with me so strongly that I care about, that I want to write about, or that I want to podcast about, or that I want to speak to the community about. So I feel like, you know, health professionals, we get into it because we want to help. We want to make a difference. And so I guess I've used, you know, different elements to be able to make that difference. So yet started one-to-one and then it's, you know, kind of morphed into or evolved into how do I reach more and more people in a more efficient, effective way. That's my summary. That's a really good summary. And it's it's that kind of overall approach that really came through. You know, I became aware of you uh, a little while ago through your own personal branding and the way that you have embraced modern media and taking a kind of a digital first approach to the way that you build communication and how you build a community and a presence for yourself. I think it's really important inspiration for people to to look at and see in the industry from a healthcare standpoint that traditional methods of trying to engage and attract clients and build a practice, as you say, all businesses are hard, you know, in the early days. They tend to be programs of behaviour that kind of don't really think about how modern humans work, you know, and are kind of built around um, perhaps how business models work. Like if you look at Google AdWords, for example, that is a tactic that businesses can use to try and, you know, put themselves out there, but it's a really effective revenue stream for Google Ads, but it may not be a really effective approach to actually generating the right type of clients, you know, for your healthcare business. And I think the way that people research these days and the way that they consume information they don't want to be advertised to. They don't want to be sold. You know, they they want to learn. They want to have more ownership over the information that they're getting access to. I find it really inspirational and, and really important in how you've actually bottled that and how you've brought it all together. And so I might just sort of unpack it a little bit with you. You've, uh, you know, sort of remarked on a few things that you've developed over the years. So you've got your, you've got your private practice that operates from a couple of locations and you have quite a large team at the moment. So you're a practitioner and you're a practice owner. Tell us a little bit more about that, where it's at today and how then that dovetails or fits in with some of the other things that you're doing around the podcast and the books and the speaking and, uh, and some of the webinars that you get involved with. Well, the clinic is certainly a foundation for me and how it fits in is that 
with the team, I've been able to, and I love the coaching part and the sharing of knowledge and experience. And so my role there is, yes, it's directing, but also I've had to learn, you know, how to delegate, what to delegate to, I guess, create that space that I've needed to do some of the things that I do now. So the clinic over the years has been constantly refined and retuned as you know things happen and change quickly all the time oh yeah so it's really been about how do we maintain good quality service and keeping everyone on the same values page and that's really important and also what happens is you know as the business has matured or the company has in some ways it's added more pressure to the reputation, right? Because I'm kind of going, we've got a good reputation. So every team member that comes in, they have, it's not about the expectations, but they have amazing training because we need everyone to be on the same page. I'm able to do an element of that or a lot of that. But over time, I've also loved nurturing other speech pathologists who are ready to take on board some of the mentoring. So I guess I've set up pathways there where a clinician can move into becoming a mentor and eventually, if they're interested, becoming a clinical coach. You know, so just I'm very much on what are your strengths, what are you passionate about, what are you interested in, because it's just not going to work otherwise. So I like to look at those features there in terms of the team itself. And that, you know, that delegation and the need for flexibility, being a mum of three and still wanting to be there as much as I can for events or things like that and school pick up and drop off, etc. I've needed to build in those, yes, the systems and efficiencies, whatever that may be, the apps, the software, the management systems, etc. But then looking at, you know, people, how do we bring together the collaboration, working as a team and and keeping that relationship, I guess. And that's where all sorts of things come in to help us communicate as much as we can, because we can be, I'm, I'm remote quite a bit, so I need to be able to connect in with the team, be on the same communication page, et cetera. So they've been two really big goals for the clinic. But the fact that I've been able to be remote more easily and with authentic connection that's probably been the real turning point in in allowing me to you know do the podcasting because I can go okay well I'm going to record a podcast episode from home and I can zoom in and do a team meeting or whatever it might be and so that's been really cool so it's been nice to see how the advances in technology have helped to free up space to delve into other areas that I can kind of create and synchronize with what's happening at the clinic and vice versa, really. So, yeah, does that help answer that question? There's a little bit to unpack there as well. You use some terms like coaching and mentoring and that strong sense of uh, work-life balance, you know, so that you can, you know, spin a few plates concurrently in you know, and kind of modify the culture of the clinic so that everybody uh, is able to balance their work and life also. That's something that modern healthcare could really benefit a lot from really understanding that on the one hand, yes, the industry is about caring for clients. It's important to focus on that and that's kind of the front end. Uh, But then on the back end, you're building a team and they're humans also and they've got their own work-life objectives and you know we often hear about burnout and other kinds of issues with the people within the healthcare industry so I think I think both having that coaching mentoring approach that kind of cultural focus 
having your system set up so that it can actually be a flexible augmentation to a person who's working in the team, deliver their professional services, but also have a life adjacent to it and make all of that work. It's somewhat understated, I think, in the industry. What's, what's your perspective on that? 100%. I think the biggest thing, and I know I use the word flexibility maybe twice, but I'll say it again, because that is like the biggest gift that we can offer a team. It truly is. And particularly mums. And I know that when we've had mums on the team and we still do, that is the one thing that they are so grateful for is that they're not being forced into, I've got to set up shop on my own because it's the only way I'm going to get flexibility. And then they're isolated as well. Over time, it's felt like, oh, this is the price I have to pay, but I get flexibility. In our work, working with people, and you mentioned, it's it's emotion work. We're constantly giving of ourselves. And I know I talk about mums a bit, but, you know, mums are giving it a whole other level as well. The flexibility is really important to feel like you're belonging to another, you know, small community, organisation, whatever that is, within work and a place that understands you is really, really huge. You know, and one example of that would be a mum who is still with us, she's been with us a number of years, and she really wanted to work on Sundays because that's when her husband wasn't working. You know, she kind of said it would, it would work for me. Now, we didn't operate on a Sunday, but we now have for a few years, and it's simply because she's kind of gone, I want to do it if you guys are open to it. And I'm like, absolutely, I get it. Like if that fits in with your family, you know, there's no shortage of clients. It's more about what works for you and what's going to make it a happy, thriving family for you guys because then you're going to be happy at work and then that has a flow and effect to your clients. It is a leadership behaviour that the team can copy as well, you know, so it really takes innovative business owners like yourself and, and practice managers to be able to empower people to think outside the box and not just sort of do it the way it's always been done because the way it's always been done also has some known challenges issues and problems with it so one thing for sure if we don't change we basically get the same result so we have to take that feedback i'm very strong on human-centered design and i think that applies both to how you deliver a good or a service to your customer but also the way that you build your team and your workplace. And we've spent a lot of time, you know, iterating and trialing and making a few errors and getting a few things right to build out a very strong, I guess, value proposition for for members of the team. Well, I can hear that in what you're saying because when I think most people, they either have bad work conditions and they hear about good working conditions from somebody who works in an organisation like yours uh, or ours, And eventually it's going to become demanded. It's going to become the new normal, the way that, you know, people would expect to work moving forward. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And and that phrase or that term of human-centred, completely agree. And that's that's a priority, I think. We've got to work a little harder at human connection and humanness uh, is what I call it. But it's just like a non-negotiable, isn't it? It's just this is this is it. We need to be seeing each other as whole human beings, not human doings. It's not about what are you going to do for me? What what am I going to do for you? You know, it's about what do we want to be together as a team? Do we want to be, you know, happy, thriving, innovative? You know, what do we want to be? I'm pretty big on the language that's used as well, because you know, that speaks volumes in terms of what the focus is. And, and you're right, we don't 
don't always get things right. It is trial and error and it is refining. But I think part of that, that openness is really important. And health practitioners, you know, we are trained to self-evaluate species I know we have definitely gone through that but we're, we're always doing that self-reflection self-evaluation and that for me has been one of the best tools that was trained into me you know years ago and I use it in all areas of life because you can kind of sit back and go okay well let's reflect on whatever this is let's reflect on it what's worked what hasn't let's listen to the feedback but then let's really objectively look at it when do we need to take things on board or when do we say, actually, we've done everything we possibly could that aligns with our values and for whatever reason, this just hasn't worked this time. So I think that process is really important rather than just going, this is how we do it and it's the right way. It's just like, well, let's just look at everything and come to, you know, I guess, and I call it an at-peace decision, you know, whether things have worked out, need to be tweaked or just they just were crap and let's not do that again. But, you know, that's business, isn't it? It's all of that and learning as you go. Absolutely. We, in in the tech, when I say we, I, I speak for the health tech, we try and be as empathetic as possible with what our clients need and try and encapsulate that within the next permutation or the next iteration of the software development. But we use very small timelines to make the change. So we don't try and develop something for six months and then release it and get feedback. That's just... That's a recipe for disaster. And, but we'll try and get something out this week. And immediately we'll know whether it's positive, negative, whether it's adding value, whether it's, meh, you know, uh, we're getting that feedback and we really rely on that to be able to then say, keep it, get rid of it, adjust it. And so it takes a mindset, I think, to be able to say, it doesn't, in a way, it doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what your clients think. And if your clients are willing to share with you uh, their, their thoughts, their feelings, their aspirations, what they're hoping to achieve, what they're looking for, that's the gift. And all we need to do is figure out how we can practically and sustainably be able to deliver that and help our clients achieve their goals. And I hear a really strong alignment there with what you're describing as well. Would that be a, a fair call? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what's very important there is the listening component, you know, listening really carefully to what people are saying. And sometimes when you receive feedback, you can kind of tell that that's not the true feedback, yeah. <laughs> right? And so it's that ability to first up build a relationship of trust so that someone's feeling safe enough to be able to really say what they're thinking or feeling. And we value, again, we value that so much. And we are also so grateful, you know, whether that is, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just let, you know, be honest with us because that's how we learn. So that element of listening and building trust is really important and, and that creating that safe space, you know, and that comes with the trust, I guess, but that they're kind of the, the foundation things that we're looking for, really, as people, as well as organisations. But that's, that's the basic level, isn't it? A one-to-one -one person, you just want to be listened to and you want to feel understood by someone else. Back to simple basics, isn't it? <laughs> Well, it's like, uh, it's like you said earlier, I'm going to quote you on this from now on, uh, we're human beings, not human doings. And the more we can connect with that and, and uh, break down those barriers. And professions kind of put up the barriers in a way, don't they? Because we, we learn these vocabularies and we, we learn these sort of industry terms and industry jargon and 
then we go off into the world and we become that kind of, there's an aspect of our personality that becomes that. And all of a sudden that puts barriers between the connections in the community because others who are outside of the industry can no longer fully understand the words that are being used or perhaps it's a bit above their head or their eyes glaze over because they're not as connected with that content. And I know I note that a big driver for you is you, you really see that community fabric and how important it is to cultivate connection. Is that driven through your professional development as a speech pathologist or is that sort of an infusion of your own your own life and your own journey or is it both? I'd say it's a bit of both. I think, and now I do have to delve into childhood slightly, <laughs> but I think, um, I think you know, one of the one of the key things that stands out for me going back to childhood was that you know we were, we were a family of six. My parents were English as a second language. They came to Australia, you know, as adults and uh, couldn't speak the language and had to just kind of start from scratch, if you like. So we always had to work as a team. And so that was one thing that, you know, I learned as a child is whatever we need to do and get done, we work together, we help each other out. It's just how it works. The other thing coupled with that was that the news was on a lot in the household, right? And as a kid, I found the news really confusing because I was like, why is all this crazy stuff going on in the world and what's why are people doing this to each other? And that really sparked a fuel in me which was like it doesn't need to be like this. I'm sure there are good people in the world and I would like to be one of those people just empowering positive change and making a difference. So that fuel, you know, obviously then led to being in a helping profession and doing all the education and the training and all that kind of thing. So I feel like that was very much embedded at a young age. So that that combination of working together and people, and uh, and back then we didn't have too many technical distractors. You know, it was very much about people of all ages and connecting with them, coupled with that that fuel of I want to make a difference and how will I do that? So that's that's really where it's 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 come for me. The thing that I'm very big on, and when you talk about the language being a barrier, you're absolutely right. And I feel like that to me is where we're denying access. You know, we're denying people access to what we do and how we can help them and the value that we have to offer them. You know, even the even being called a speech pathologist, it confuses people. It always has, you know, for more than 20 years that I've been one, people still ask me, what is a speech pathologist? You know, so there's all sorts of labels and words for things that confuse people. So when I do talk to people, obviously it depends on the audience as to, yep, I'll change my language to match the audience I'm talking to. But ultimately, I really like to simplify the complicated because I feel like a lot in the world is made to sound really fancy and complex when you kind of go, well, just just tell me like in basic terms. And then you go, oh, is that it? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's what I feel is really important as, um, as an access point. How do we just communicate and tell stories or give examples that someone can just go, okay, thank you, that's what that is, and I need that, or my son needs that, or my mum and dad need that. It's something I can't fix in my lifetime, but I can have a go chipping away at elements of it. <laughs> I think you're doing a pretty good job of it. Just as hearing you speak, I, I, I now see the connection with the books that you've written 
and how you're taking that inner essence of observation of how the world could benefit from connection and how it can bring empowerment and it can help lead fulfilled lives. And I can see how language could be a real impediment, you know, if people are having difficulty relating to each other or being able to engage in conversation or perhaps don't speak the same language those things become barriers, whereas using speech, you know, that can actually just open up communication and get people connecting and build out that social fabric. That becomes community. We have to remember that, that, you know, we we sort of live in growing cities and bigger populations and it's very easy to just, you know, put our earphones on and uh, kind of detach from the people around us. I'm a Tassie boy. I grew up in Tasmania, so we lived a life. If you didn't know the person who just walked past you, one of your friends did. You know, it was kind of, <laughs> as I grew in life, I thought, no, that's kind of missing in the city because the city's kind of just putting more and more alienation and isolation and no pun intended, but social distancing because of the way that we're sort of just built and we've sort of all sort of moved into these big places. And that resonates with me. And, and I've seen that you've used that as a sort of an underpinning for Uh, the approach, uh, I guess, to express that. And you've taken advantage of modern media to do it. So tell us more about the the spark, you know, that that moment that came where you thought, I want to connect with more people and I want to empower more people and I want to educate more people and I need to find a way to do it. What was the moment and how did that translate into what you did next? The moment where I really... I guess, had to embrace. I know it sounds like I did a big sigh there, but there was a big, a slight sigh there. I, I kind of felt like I had to embrace, you know, social media and communicating through digital means more so. That really happened after I wrote my third book. So before then, I was kind of online, if I can call it that, but I was always very much just a very private person and I I thought, oh, social media and all that stuff, like I'm not into that because I didn't really understand it. I didn't really delve into it too much until the first children's book came out and uh, I was a few months out of that coming out and I'd I'd gone to a a writer's PD thing and the presenter there basically said, you must be on social media. And I remember that moment because I was like, oh, my gosh, no, I don't want to do this, you know. I'm so comfortable just not being on social media. And so I'll say reluctantly, I reluctantly thought, okay, I've got to do it. But at the same time, what I had launched uh, very comfortably was my podcast. Now, why I was comfortable with that, because for me, in my mind, it was very clear that it was a medium for me to add value to get the message out. So the podcast was kind of, I would say, the first moment. And the second big one was before the third book. But that was my first moment because I was clear that this is not about me. I'm not an about me person, you know. So the podcast was like, I'm giving, I'm serving his value, you know, here it is. So that was good and I felt like I had that reach happening. So then when the the third book was, I guess, written, commissioned, the release date was set. I thought, oh, you know, this feels different. This really does feel different. And I feel like I don't really understand how to communicate who I am in a way that I'm comfortable with. And I feel like I need some help with this. 
And actually, and going back, I remember when I, I was told I had to be on social media, I texted a friend and said, can we organise half an hour so you can tell me what Instagram is about? <laughs> and she literally set up a t- tutorial on it, like, because I didn't want to get things wrong and stuff it up and all that stuff. So, look, the turning point, the real turning point then became, okay, I need to communicate to, to mums in a, in a different way. And I kept getting told people need to get to know you. That's when I kind of thought, well, how does it work? Because I'm happy for them to know me, but I don't want to reveal much about my family or have kids, you know, my photos of my kids up. And, you know, I'm not, I, I'm really respectful of people's boundaries in that way, including my children. So I reached out and, and just, and asked for help. Yanni, like that's what you do. So being that I do embrace learning and, and growing, yeah, I reached out and to a coach to start with and you know she kind of looked at the branding and the marketing that I was doing at a personal level or not doing and started just working with me through some tips and some strategies and then from from there she also kind of sparked I guess my mind in terms of she could tell and and she knew I was super collaborative you know I love connecting with others making great ideas amazing you know with working with others and complementing skill sets and stuff so that opened my mind there Uh, and then in those kind of travels I guess then I came across someone else who was doing personal branding and that's where it all kind of just it felt like a natural evolution and that's where it all clicked and I was like okay this is actually clear to me because I can storytell and that's what I do so I was kind of going this is what I do anyway and I'm comfortable with this and I can add value without talking about what I had for dinner you know so it was like dismantling all the preconceptions I'd had with certain digital things, I guess. So it was dismantling that, detoxing uh, the assumptions I'd had in my mind that I can't do that and I'm not able to do this. So once I'd, I'd cleared that and I understood, oh, I, actually, I can I can make this work in a way that aligns with my values, you know, integrity, adding value and empowerment. Like they're my three values. And I thought, wow, because I thought the podcast was, wow, you know, this is a great platform and it is. But then I kind of thought, wow, it, it can actually go a lot further in, in, you know, social media, LinkedIn. I can tell my stories there and add value because I almost feel uncomfortable when I'm not adding value. <laughs> so if I'm adding value, I'm like, I'm okay with this. Here it goes. That really was the, I guess, the game changer for me was coming to that understanding and then feeling comfortable and congruent with how to do that, you know, with authenticity. And and really that's what I was what I was hoping for. Yeah, and I guess I've learned a lot really, really quickly, you know, both from the technical side as well as how do I how do I communicate in an authentic way? Like that's kind of easy. But then how do I make tech work? So that's how it's come together. And and I say to people, you have no idea. If you could look at my browser history thing, how many times I've gone to YouTube, like, what is an Instagram reel? Like, seriously, <laughs> no joke. That's me. Like, asking you, watching YouTube clips on all sorts of stuff. And, you know, along the way, I guess I've, I've loved it because I'm like, oh, there's some really cool creative stuff I can do. And so I've really looked at how do I embrace it in a way that's congruent. And I think for anyone that wants to launch into it, being really clear on what your values are and your purpose and what you're trying to do 
is really, that's the crux of it, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I resonate at so many different levels. The idea of giving freely is very innate for me. I, I'd like to do that. And it's raised a few eyebrows over the years because we sort of used to, well, I think we still do in a way, but we used to sort of have a world where everybody wanted to get paid for everything. And that kind of is counterintuitive in a way because I think human beings always figure stuff out for themselves anyway. Why pretend that we're holding on to some sort of, you know, secret and that it must be paid for in order to get access to? It seems a little bit of an antiquated notion. And what I think and what I've observed over life is that the information is valuable, but translating the information into action is the hard part. And that's where people struggle, not getting access to information or understanding things quickly. I think a lot of the healthcare industry could learn a lot from uh, leaders like yourself where it's not so much about I'm giving, you know, so many years of knowledge. Like your podcast, when I listen to it, I, I, can, I can hear all that experience. I can, I can hear your lived experience in the clinic. I can hear your academic experience and it does add value. And, you know, it's a matter of being able to synthesize it and put it into, into action. And that's where you still need the support. And I think the health industry has a big opportunity in understanding that about clients and the way that digital works and taking a kind of a, a digital first approach to designing healthcare so that in between the appointments and pr prior to the appointments, the clients are being empowered to synthesize the information and then work in cooperation with the healthcare practitioner to achieve the goals rather than trying to just bottle it into an appointment and then the only way you get access to it is you've got to come back for the next appointment. And it kind of, you know, we hear a lot of complaints about behavioural change being difficult and adherence and retention. I think part of the solution to that and part of engagement in modern healthcare is to get beyond the appointments and actually become part of your client's world in a digital way and not necessarily just rely on the appointments. What, do you, what are your thoughts? A hundred percent. And that, that was one of the, the big, you know, reasons that the podcast did come into play, you know, apart from that massive reach at a more local level in the clinic, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing tool to add that value to train staff as well. It's, it's helped at all levels because with my coaching, for example, or mentoring, I can say, you need to listen to episode blah. I chat to a behavioral optometrist or I chat to an educational psychologist on this one. So that has been, you know, it's such a, a rich platform of education and it's helped at, at that level. So it's adding value freely to staff at that level. And then they're familiar with that educational content so they can then pass that on to the clients and you're absolutely right We're like and that's something I'm so big on is adding value going the extra mile like that's just how we work you know um, so use it so use the information know what what books or resources or products are going to be perfect as a complement to what's happening for your client with clinicians who are at a stage where they're heavily seeing clients it's hard to keep up with stuff and i feel like because i i guess i'm in various industries or pots i'm able to go okay well this is this is a book that would actually work really well with that client this has just come out now or well, there's a book on bullying that would help with social skills so 
having someone on top of all those things that are changing really quickly and being able to offer that freely uh, and using digital, that does make a massive difference. If you think now about the wait lists that are out there, I don't like it. (laughs) I've never liked wait lists because I'm kind of going, this is not why we do what we do, you know. And, and years ago, now it's different, but years ago I worked for some time in community health and you know, where there were wait lists because it was a free service and I was only able to offer X amount of sessions and then off they went. And I, I was glad I did that because I realised that it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You can't have a client with severe complex difficulties be on a wait list for six months, have 10 sessions and then go back on the wait list for six months, you know, and that was the kind of stuff that fueled private practice. But now the fact that private practices have such long wait lists, my mind is going, there are all these people that are not getting any help at all. So what are they getting? And this is where digital can come in so beautifully, whether it is the podcast, whether it is online kind of information, whether it is group support for people on the wait list, you know, a Q&A, like whatever. There's so many opportunities to still add value rather than, you know, families being stressed out and issues exacerbating over time. Yeah, there's so many good points there. And when you think about it, demand for healthcare is high and then supply of the healthcare services is lower. So that's what wait lists add up to. You know, there's disparity in the market between the amount of services that can support those people. So finding ways to scale healthcare beyond the use of one person's time for the length of an appointment is right in the sweet spot of digital. If we think digital and digital health, we can find ways to bridge those gaps between the appointments to empower clients to be able to take not just the information, but the toolkit that's needed to actually translate that. And that's going to be associated with the practitioner or the practice that is supporting them through that process. And through the course of that client's life, who are they going to be loyal to and who are they going to remember when they need the healthcare support in the future. It's an abundance mentality rather than a scarcity mentality. You know, the scarcity model is we want to keep it all for ourselves kind of thing. Whereas the abundance mentality is we're growing, we're super busy, let's help our clients and let's help the industry. Because if we, I think what you're doing really positively as well is you're a role model for, for speech and for women in business and you know, that acts as an inspiration for people around you to be able to emulate some of what you've done. And and I'd imagine that word of mouth is a big part of how your practice actually generates new clients and uh, and grows because it's the actual community that's buzzing around it and talking around what you're doing and how you're doing it. You stay top of mind, you know, using that approach. But the industry rises with it as well. You mentioned earlier that people ask you, what is speech pathology? And so you probably helped answer that question through the podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. So where do you see it going? When You know, there's podcasting. The, the way you've approached podcasting is very interesting. Um, you know, you've got, you know, sort of an approach where you're breaking down topics for zero to 12-year-olds and things that mums in particular uh, would uh, experience along that journey and how to go about it. But you also incorporate other third-party experts coming into the mix and talking about adjacent type of topics and you've developed books where where do you see where do you see speech 
or allied health broadly going in the future? What's what's going to look like? Uh, is it sort of is this where it's at, or are we going to take digital to the next level? I think we have to take digital to the next level, and I think there's some really amazing opportunities out there to think outside the square and be innovative and to use our knowledge in in a way with you know integrity with digital so that we can service people and you know I, I not even metro but regional you know I, I just think very broadly digital is exciting in that there is so much that we can do particularly from a preventative model I've got to say particularly from that angle so I feel like we do need the movers and shakers and the proactive passionate you know people that are willing to just go Let's give things a try. I think what I see in the future, though, is what I'm also actively you know, nurturing at the moment is various collaborations and partnerships. What I absolutely love is the richness of people coming together with their various skill sets or communities or platforms or whatever it is. There is such a lovely marriage that can happen through collaborations and partnerships And I feel like that's, you know, just moving from strength to strength. Three, to build really strong, thriving professional networks, organisations, et cetera, just by working together. I say get rid of the fragmentation uh, and bring in the collaboration. Amen. It's part of the reason why uh, Core Plus was founded in the first place. It's about, at a technical level, trying to build the bridge between the different points of care and to provide a, a data bridge, so to speak. And it's, it's called interoperability in, in the industry, which is a bit of propeller headish and doesn't make a lot of sense on those barrier words. Basically just cultivating partnerships and really bringing the community together so that diverse practitioner types can actually cooperate around the interests of a shared client and add value to the client beyond their own service by also helping them move to the next point of care, helping them to share clinical information that's meaningful and relevant to the outcome and the goals and the issues that the person is dealing with so that the human experience of a client who's interacting with the healthcare system is easy, positive, seamless. You know, you're almost ushered from point to point and those partnerships and collaborations within the healthcare sector work fluidly together and cross-refer. So it's not just driven by the traditional GP sends a referral and why can't speech refer to psychologists and psychologists to physios and dietitians to psychologists you know why can't we do this and um, it happens in a fragmented way that's a great choice of word it does happen what if it's the prevailing way of doing things what's that going to be like for the whole industry and i think that's a great great vision certainly my experience with some unfortunate healthcare issues 12 or so years ago exposed me to the fragmentation that you describe and uh, and actually catalyzed my energy around trying trying to do something about it from a health tech standpoint. So that really resonates with me. It's a noble vision and I appreciate you sharing that with us today, Sonia. Thank you so much and uh, we'll make sure that we put some links to your personal website, uh, the Talking Heads Speech Pathology Clinic and uh, your books and and, uh, the podcast, which uh, I'm very much enjoying catching up on your back catalogue at the moment. So thank you so much, Sonia. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for all that you do and that you are. Oh, thank you, Sonia. It's very kind of you.
Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.